King Solomon said this, the righteous are as bold as a lion. The flip side he wrote is that the wicked flee when no one pursues. That's both in Proverbs 28.1. Now when you get to the place that I discussed in the previous episode that Eminem was in that movie 8 Mile where he could just own all of his flaws and just share them out there just publicly broadly for his world to see. When you get to that place to where you can own your story, even if you don't share it with everyone, you can be bold. I mean, maybe term it like this, when you realize your identity isn't found in the great stuff you've done, nor is it defined by you at your worst, either extreme, you can be even bolder. You sense a humble, tender confidence at that point swelling up inside you, one that's not based on your perfection or based on your lack of flaws, but it's based on the notion that there's nothing else to hide. You've owned your story. Now, I remember just a few years ago, days of constantly looking over my shoulder, always wondering when life might come unzipped. Constant anxiety sucks. I don't even know if I can use that word on here, but it's what I wrote down in the notes. Where there are holes in your story, it's easy in those places to hide. In fact, you want to hide. The problem, though, is that hiding it just makes things worse, more tense. Pressure builds beneath the surface, and sooner or later, whatever's inside it surfaces. Now, King Solomon, he's a guy who had a lot of clutter in his closet. He also wrote this verse, One who covers his transgressions will not prosper, but whoever confesses them finds mercy. It's in Proverbs 28:13, And that's the thing that we all want, isn't it? Mercy grace, freedom. My thought is that it's time to claim yours, time to claim mine. And when we own our flaws, we allow that grace to crash in and we simultaneously, we stop the enemy's accusations. Now the flip side is this, when we cover things, we actually cover things and in doing so push freedom to the side. Now freedom always remains available, but get this, it's impossible to grab hold of grace when you're clinging tightly to a mask of self-protection. That gives the accuser a field day and it causes us to walk in more shame and more timidity. Now take King David for instance, he was Solomon's dad. 2 Samuel 11 records his affair with Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the wife of one of his prized warriors. David saw her bathing one day, and he summoned her up to his castle. He had his way. She became pregnant. He tried repeatedly to cover that sin, culminating when he murdered her husband. If he, the husband, was dead, everyone would just assume the baby was his, right? After all, he wouldn't be around to tell them otherwise. Now, that whole story, you can read that again in 2 Samuel 11. Now, David eventually, eventually repented, but it seems he never fully dealt with the issue. Okay, this hiding thing, it went deep in his family. He hid, Solomon hid. That episode marked him. Years later, one of his sons raped one of his daughters. It was a sibling by two different mothers. But, but still, it was rape and it was in the family. And David refused to confront that sin too. It was in 2 Samuel 13. Now my thought is this, how could he? He had also used his own position of power to sexually seduce a woman himself. He was seeing what he had done play out right before his eyes and his sons. Even if he couldn't articulate why, he was hesitant, timid, unlionlike, unbold. Absalom, that was the full brother of the harmed daughter, actually planned to kill David 
his dad because David refused to address the issue. Absalom couldn't, though, because David wouldn't make time for him. David refused to go on a hunting expedition where Absalom planned to entrap him. So Absalom did the next best thing. He killed the perpetrator, the guilty half-brother. This is in 2 Samuel 13, 23 and following. Here's the hitch. David wouldn't acknowledge that sin either, though. He wouldn't extend his heart to Absalom even after that, resulting in a rebellion in the entire kingdom. David was forced to eventually flee the palace. Why? Because he wouldn't be bold and confront the issues. You see, here's what I think. Here's what I'm seeing about myself. You can't walk in your rightful role when there are parts of your story that you're hiding. It's impossible to do so because we're created to walk in the light. And because of that hidden sin, David refused to walk in his God-given authority. Who was he to confront sin issues and things wrong that he saw in other people? He had the same ones, ones with which he refused to deal. What would happen if those came out? Now here's kind of what I see, maybe kind of shifting gears. Whereas you and I maybe tend to look outside of ourselves and focus on all the externals, rationalizing that things will get better for us when things change around us. Maybe that's what David was doing. The opposite proves true. We've got to deal with the stuff inside, the clutter in the closet first. And our soul, the inside, it becomes an internal thermometer that sets the temperature for the world around us. And John, the apostle, the disciple, one of Jesus' right-hand men, I quoted from him in the last episode. John wrote this, Beloved, I pray that you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. That's in 3 John 2. Notice that he prays for prosperity in all things, every, everything, and in health. Yet it seems that the soul was the measure of how much we can carry in the prosperity of all things and in our total health and wellness. Here, here's the verse again. Pay attention. I pray you prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. Now, I've noticed that we often spiritualize or futurize the blessings of God, believing they only matter in the afterlife. When we do this, we reduce the stories of Scripture to allegory, effectively pushing the promises of God to a time and place where we don't experience the full benefits of them now. John assumed we could experience these these blessings in this life. Notice, though, your soul serves as the gauge for experiencing the good things of life now. Health, abundance. I mean, yeah, there are people who prosper in all things, even financial provision and health without the great work of the soul and getting that right. There are always exceptions to the rule. However, we shouldn't plan based on those exceptions. We need to do the work of the soul. That leads to this question, what is the soul. Well, your soul, it's unique from your body and it's different than your spirit. Uh, Hebrews 4.12 talks about distinguishing between the soul and the spirit. The soul includes your mind. It includes things like your thoughts uh, and it includes your emotions, that is your feelings. Your soul is the thermostat for the world around you and it gets to set the temperature. It's, it's not just a thermometer which simply reports what's happening. We often flip it the other way, and then we assume we'll think and feel right when things outside become right. But John pushes us in the opposite direction. He says that learning and to think and learning to feel right on the inside, it actually overflows to change the outside circumstances. 
Now, I, I alluded to this in the last episode. I told you, I said 2016 was a difficult year. It was one of those years you definitely don't want to repeat ever. And 2017 was okay. I thought I was actually in recovery mode. 2018 proved to be the worst 365-day period I've experienced ever. Now, as I made my way through these strange seasons, 2016, 17, 18, in large part by the help of numerous, I'm just going to call them life rafts, people tossed to me along the way, often not even knowing they were doing it. Just by blessing us, blessing me, by being who they are, by gifting me in many ways with their presence at just the right moment. As I did that, I decided it was time to go after the deeper issues internally and to seek healing from the things that had happened externally. I decided it was time to do the work of the soul. Now, I studied several topics related to emotional, mental health, and spiritual health all during that season. And here's one thing that I noticed. I, during that season, I studied in a different way than I had most of my studying before. You see, as odd as it sounds, reading and writing can be somewhat of a getaway for me. I can read a book and actually check out of reality. I can actually write and do the same thing. I know, that sounds surreal to some of you. You'd think that mental work would be taxing, that it would drain me. I found that my brain, though, has a greater stamina than my emotions. It's almost like when I do either one of those things, reading or writing, I can choose to step out of this world and into the world of whatever I'm reading or writing about. I can avoid and I can escape. Now, over the past few months, it dawned on me. This is in 2019. Over the past few months, it dawned on me that it's exactly what I'd done for the past few years. It's why in the middle of stress and chaos, I could actually choose to work, whereas some people don't. And it's why I could work very well. I mean, some of the best material that we've used at the men's advance events, it was created during some of the most chaotic chapters of my life. In fact, the men's advanced material was created during the most trying time of life. This season was different than checking out there. Rather than studying and wrestling with information in the head, I was actually digesting and wrestling with personal truths that I was hoping would bring about lasting, not information, but transformation. This created a different sort of journey than I had taken with other concepts in the past. Here's why. Information touches the head. Transformation adjusts your heart. You can remain emotionally neutral when you're studying information in the world of your mind, even if you are passionate about communicating it in a specific way. Your heart, though, is never emotionally neutral. You can study information for a few minutes or a few hours and then walk away, but your heart, it stays with you. And my point is this, you've got to deal with the deeper issues on the inside in order to live well on the outside. And when you do, it is like Alice in the Wonderland, opening up the rabbit hole and you find out just how deep the thing goes. At some point in my journey, it's a journey I'm still in, journey I'm still on, something clicked. One day while I was studying stress and trauma, I thought, I'm going to list all the things that have created high-level stress for me in the past few years. So I, I began listing them. The list grew from two or three that I readily remembered at the top of my head to five. And then the list grew to six and then to eight and then beyond 15. And then I landed at over 17 specific instances there on the page which could push anyone over the edge. 
I listed a bunch of them last week, yet here I am still standing. The, the problem is this, though. Even though none of those issues left scars on the outside, they all left internal marks, wounds, hurts, things which must heal. If I broke my leg, I'd rush to the hospital and take care of it. It's an obvious wound. If emotional wounds actually left a mark outside of me, on my body, such that they were visible, I'd probably go to the doctor for that too. The problem is that these wounds existed under the surface though. Unseen, there's no urgency to deal with them, yet they inflicted the same damage that a broken leg can, and even more. Now, imagine me walking down the street, your street, the one where you live. You look out your window, and you see me limp around with a dangling appendage, scars on my face, and jagged knife marks where I'd been physically stabbed in the back. You'd probably rush to my side, hey, whoa, 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 wait, wait, let's get you some help. You wouldn't even ask if I needed help. You'd know I do. Those wounds are the emotional reality of which many of us carry. I've experienced it. You've probably experienced it too. And, and while we're at it, like let's just confess this, that we've probably dealt some of those emotional blows to others, right? Yet here it is. We've got to do the tough work of the soul. We've got to deal with the unseen scars, the hidden wounds. If you don't, if you don't do the tough work of the soul, you'll continue interpreting the future in light of the past, in light of the things you've done and the things done wrong to you. This means that I'll continue walking in hurt and I'll continue hurting others rather than being an oasis of radical grace. So the healing for me must happen. Apart from inner healing, you'll never set the thermostat from inside your soul. You'll continue looking outside yourself and just assume the temperature is correct. Remember, thermostat, not thermometer. Thermostats set the temperature. Thermometers just read the temperature. You get to do both. You get to read reality of what's going on, and then you get to set and realize how you want to interpret things moving forward. That, that is, even though you're affected by the climate around you, it doesn't get to control you. Even when it presents the circumstances which are out of your control in which you find yourself. Make sense? Let's stop there. Here's the sign-off prayer as always. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord keep you. May the Lord be gracious to you and shine His face of favor on you. And may you, may you be able to interpret reality that's going on around you. And may you read it and sense the things that should affect you. Yet may you be stronger than those things. And may you live not from the outside, but from the inside. And may, as John says, may you prosper in all things and be in good health just to the degree that your soul prospers. So today we pray healing, we pray rest, we pray deliverance and freedom from inside at the soul.